0: The first encounter of how people view people who are homeless was when um, the cab driver dropped me off and as I was coming out, the person shouted out, ''Oh, you people, you people in that hostel, you ain't got no ambition.'' I was really, not shocked, but I was thinking this could happen to anyone.
1: Have you ever wondered how it feels to lose everything you had? Your job, your savings, your home? Jasmine King knows how it feels. Several years ago, she had to move out from her apartment in London, pack her belongings and step into the world as a homeless person. An estimated 320,000 people are homeless in the United Kingdom. More than half of them live in London. That's one of the highest numbers of homeless people in developed countries. Hello, I'm Indra, and welcome to the I Bounce Back podcast. This is episode seven: Fighting for Your Dreams.
0: I was working full time prior to becoming homeless. I was had an income. The landlord, sadly, he passed away, and um, another daughter took over. Then they. Um, Then, you know, they asked me to to move, basically. And I was trying to raise sufficient amount for deposits, but I didn't have enough.
1: After a few weeks of trying to find another place to rent, Jasmine had to finally go to local authorities and ask for help. However, she was told
0: she couldn't receive any support because she didn't have any dependents the only way they would step in and help me was when I became homeless and I didn't know that was the system. The system was, it waits, it, it lets you hit the hard times before it will step in. So, um, it's, um, it's very reactive. It's not, um, it doesn't prepare and help you to prepare. But anyway, so it came to the day and I didn't know where I was going to move. Um, I was contacting them prior to this, um, and saying, you know, please help because, you, you know, I had family had to then come down from out of town because my, my immediate family don't live in the same city I live in. So my sister came down and helped me to pack. I still didn't know where I was going to move. I had a whole flat to pack and I was on a main road. So I had to sort out the logistics of moving, the times of when to move, didn't know where I'd be packing all my things for storage, didn't know where I was going to go. And then I think it was the day before they contacted me and said that, and this was like literally the day before I had to move, contacted me and said that they found me somewhere to stay, um, in a hostel. Since 2010, the
1: number of homeless people has increased by 141% in the United Kingdom. Although amid the COVID-19 pandemic, the British government offered a place to stay for nearly 90% of homeless people, This was not the case before the outbreak. Many would not receive any support and simply would end up sleeping on the streets. In Jasmine's case, she was offered a hostel just before
0: her eviction when she officially was classified as homeless. I knew it was coming and I was still trying to find somewhere but still didn't have sufficient amounts. And I did view places, but the concern I had to be careful of was my health because um, I felt that if I went through the, um, private system of a private landlord again, I would just be going around in a vicious circle. And I also needed to be in somewhere that was a safe environment for my health, not to get ill and places that I hadn't viewed, uh, places that I had viewed didn't meet that requirement. So I was still looking, but then the date came and I was then made homeless. And then they said, we, we can now help you. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is completely wrong because it puts all the stress it puts on someone. Um, you know, you know, I'm sure many have taken their life from me and many, many mentally don't deal with it well. Um, and many have said to me that they're surprised that I didn't break, um, with all that I had gone through. Um, and even what I had gone through going into the hostel. So I, I moved all my things to a storage unit. I moved into the hostel, but what I did was I brought my very basic necessities and I made sure a lot of that was my work because my focus was going to be on my work to get me out of there. Jasmine is a carrier of sickle cell disease which
1: affects the immune system. To protect it, she needs to stay in a very
0: clean environment with high hygiene standards. Now, prior to moving in, I was linked in with the Sickle Cell Society and they contacted the council and said to them, contacted the local authorities and said to them, do not put her in a hostel because she will pick up an infection. Um, and they, um, their response was the only reason why she got help was because she's got sickle cell or otherwise she would have been put out on the streets. Um, so that wasn't very, um, that was not a good thing to hear. Um but it saddened me because I think that there are other people out there who don't carry what I carry, and um, they are left out on the streets. And I just think everyone—I mean, because what this crisis has now shown with um, the um, the C nineteen COVID nineteen—is that they can house people, people. They can make space for people. Um, so yeah, with the sickle cell, you can. You're very. You're at high risk of picking up an infection. And as you well know, with this COVID-19, there are people who need to shield, and I am a shielder because of that. Um, I have to shield because of that. Um, But this was not taken on board. What's been interesting is how I'm being treated now, recognising that you are in need, you have to be protected. Yet when I was going through that homeless situation, raising the same thing, they didn't want to protect. Um, so, because I was, I was not a majority.
1: So basically you were left with no choice but to move to this hostel, which of course wasn't a perfect solution for you. Can you remember the first day when you had to move in there?
0: Yeah, I remember the day I was... Um, it was interesting because I, when I was moving my things in, um, I had gotten a cab there. And I remember the first the first encounter of how people view people who are homeless was when I pulled up outside the, um, the cab was pulling up to go by the hostel and another car was trying to come through an alleyway and, um, the cab driver dropped me off. And as I was coming out, the person shouted out, um, Oh, you people, (laughs) um, very much belittling me. Um, you people in that hostel, you ain't got no ambition. And I, I was really not shocked, but I was thinking this could happen to anyone because I was I was of the work I was working, but I just didn't have the sufficient amount to move to the next stage, and that can happen to anybody, anybody. So when this happened outside of the hostel, I then put my things aside. I went and put them in the room that I had to go into, and I left and went round to the shop where that person worked, and I said to them how I. I did speak to them and just say how dare you how dare you treat someone like they are nothing when that can happen to anybody um, and you don't know their lives Um, so yeah I moved in and I always remember it was a a women and men's hostel but there was different parts of the building allocated for men um, where the men would sleep and where the women um, would sleep and I was put on a second floor um, and then um, someone who moved in next to me um, a number of weeks later, um, she was, um, she, she did have issues. She had, um, drug issues, drink issues. Um, and she was also prostituting in the, in the room. But what made it worse was it was one of the guys across the way in the hostel was pimping her out to do it. Um, so, um, you know, I, I got on with the people, um, You know, because there was a variation of different people that was in there and everyone, um, you know, many had a lot of mental issues and drug issues. But there were people in there who was just got caught up in the system and didn't have sufficient amount to move to the next stage like myself. Um, But, you know, I didn't um, see myself as any better than anyone else or any different. I just saw it as we were going through the same process. But for me... I was determined to get out of there as fast as possible because I I believed that it was a stop. It was holding me up. Um, It didn't allow me to have the base that I needed to design and make my products that I was doing um, and to focus on what I really wanted to do, which was my work. Uh, My focus was to try and find a home. And I always remember that that was – it was the year of the Olympics. And I always remember thinking, whilst everyone was – in a race with the Olympics, my race was to find a home. Um, was it the
1: London's Olympics.
0: Yes, yes, it was the it was the twenty twelve. Yeah. So for me, it was my race was to find a home, um, and I missed out on all of that of London being united and you know cheering them on and all. I, I missed out really on all of that because my life was in the hostel and that my focus was that.
1: During her time in the hostel, Jasmine was fighting her case for public housing. She
0: was also
1: relentlessly trying to build her clothing business.
0: What was interesting was that prior to moving out, I had sent that I think that was the year that Will and or the, just before the, the year that Will and Kate got married, and I had sent them um, some pieces of my products and also sent a piece in there for um, the Queen. And I remember I redirected my mail and when I moved into the hostel, um, I received a letter from her office thanking me. And for me, that was a a thing to say, just stay focused on what you're doing. You'll get out of here. Um, And I always remember saying to my sister, I'm going to write back to them. And my sister said to me, why, what can they do? And I said, can you imagine? if they made one call, <laughs> one call. I said, because this is holding me up from doing what I need to, what I really want to do. Did you
1: ever um, write
0: them? Yes, I did. I wrote to them and I gave them the names of the people of the local authority and said it would just take one call because this is what I'm aiming to try and do and this is holding me up. Um, but whilst all of this was happening, um, I was still trying to do trades with my products I was still carrying on, and a lot of the staff could see this um, and see that I was l- literally just focused on my work and getting out of there. Um, so whilst that was all happening, my health was um, my health was dropping, and um, but I just thought it was the stress of being in there, and um, you know it wasn't it wasn't a wonderful place for hygiene, but it wasn't a bad place because you know I could have been in somewhere far worse. But you know, I I still was jogging. I still was, you know, getting to know people in there and got on with a number of people. And you know, was just trying to encourage them to just say, don't give up and just stay focused. And but for them, I don't think that. For some, I don't think they had a focus. Whereas my focus was my work. Um, my work and my faith got um, was strong for me. But but you know, being a person of faith, it was a challenging time because I couldn't understand why I was being kept in that situation when I believed in Christ. There was one time I remember, I remember praying and there was one time I opened my mouth and the words wouldn't come out. I was, it was almost like I was dumb, I could not speak and at that point I knew I was in a dangerous place. And my sister said to me, "Just keep singing the psalms." She said, "If you can't read it, sing it." Um, so I started to do that, and still, and I, and, and still stay focused. <laughs> um, and I would always write to the local authority, literally every day, send them an email, and said to them, "You can make good come out of this bad situation." Now, whilst this was all happening, my health was dropping. And then it was leading up to Christmas and I travelled back to um, go and stay with family in the hometown that I'm from. And um, but prior to that, you know, as I said, my health was getting worse. I was having a lot of fever thinking I was I had the flu. Um, And then when I got to my mother's home, I. got there in the evening and then when I went to bed and early that morning I had to get up and um, try and get to my mom's room to call the ambulance because I couldn't breathe. Um, the ambulance came and got my breathing down and suggested that I come with them or go to a clinic. And I took some money out of my wallet, shouted up to my mom, my mother, I'll, I'll see you later. <laughs> and then um, when I got to the hospital, my breathing just went, it turned. Um, They took an x-ray, and there was a shadow on my lungs. Um, And I was trying to not worry, because my brother and my sister and my father passed of cancer, Um, and my sister and my brother died young of cancer. So I was trying not to worry and hoping it wasn't that, so that my family wouldn't have to go through that journey again. Um, And then they came back to me, and they said that they're going to admit me into hospital because they've seen a shadow on my lungs. And I, um, I couldn't walk two meters without being breathless. Now, that, that baffled them and it was also strange to me because I would be jogging seven miles, eight miles every three days and I was still doing it whilst I was in the hostel. And I couldn't walk two meters without becoming breathless. And they said, look, this isn't right for someone that is relatively, you know, you're young and fit. And then they diagnosed me with pneumonia and for Christmas and New Year, I was fighting the infection, um, trying to fight the infection. And then I remember my family saying and friends saying to me to stay in my hometown and don't go back. But I believed and I could consistently just hear, you need to go back because it's not finished
1: Write a review and then you can share it with the world. In any social media platform. And then your friends see it and you can share and discover new shows together. This is Steph, instigator of Pod Rev Day Podcast Review Day. And I'm Andy from Inspired Money. And I'm Arielle of Earbuds Podcast Collective and Castbox. We're here to tell you everything you need to know about Pod Rev Day, which is on the
0: eighth of every month, of every year, of every century, of every you get it.
1: We are posting podcast reviews as part of hashtag Podrev Day Podcast Review Day.
0: Because podcasters work their buttons off and deserve to know how much they've impacted your lives. And you can do that through reviews.
1: Even one star feels surprisingly <laughs> good. Does it? it lets you know that people are at least listening. Don't be a passive podcast listener. Write a review and tell your favorite creator what you love about their podcast or about a specific episode. And to participate, you just need to do one review. And we'll see you every eighth of the month. PodRev Day, because podcasters deserve to hear it hashtag pod Rev day p-o-d-r-e-v-d-a-y if you're listening to us on apple podcasts spotify or stitcher don't forget to subscribe and if you like the i Bounce back podcast please leave your review After staying in a hospital, Jasmine King got better and despite her family suggesting not to move back to London, she returned to the same hostel. And something was waiting for her there. There was a letter there for me. This letter was from the Housing Association. It said that they had found an apartment for Jasmine and she could move there after more
0: than six months of waiting. What was so amazing... Um, And as I said to you, I am a person of faith. Everything I prayed in that prayer, and I was so specific, tiny little things to others, but big things to me that I knew I needed to stay well and to just focus on what I needed to do. And that was, you know, I I prayed for a a home that would have floor-to-ceiling windows, plenty of light, a clean space, somewhere with a bath. So when I would fall ill, I could just relax. And walked into this place... Everything I prayed for was on that list. Everything. Everything. Um, and when I moved in here, I, like I said, I looked out on the development site and I believed nothing could stop me. Nothing could stop me.
1: Once Jasmine moved into a new apartment, she got involved in the local community and started doing sewing and design classes. However, her main focus
0: was her children's wear business. I was trained, technically trained as a tailor. And um, it was my sister that I followed, the one who passed away. Um, and we both loved designing and making. And but, um, so we did a tailoring course. And then um, I wanted to take it further. I mean, after my sister passed, I really wanted to take it further um, because I had a love for fashion. Uh, love for creating and then I um I did my degree and and then I was offered a position a placement at um, quite a well-established high street brand and started out on a menswear design team I didn't really get to grow as well as I could have done there because again in many industries it's different it's different. If, if you're if you're not of the norm in there you battle to move up the scale um, of doing well there um, and so I wanted to also go into women's wear and then I eventually left there and then worked for other companies. But then wasn't really enjoying it because of how, what I'm used to and what I, how I work. Um, and not just how I work, how teams work and a lot other places that I'd gone to, it was very much about copying. And that, that wasn't about me. I was, I was about creating. So I decided to just do my own thing and started to do um, embroidery keepsakes um, for family and friends, and then orders started to come in. And then I did a market, my sister came down and helped me to do a market, and I started to realize the people that were buying from me were moms um, and buying for um, friends of, um, parents of, um, buying for children. So I thought oh, I should do some children's work, baby wear with this. So I started to do the baby wear with it. and more interest started to happen, and then I started to grow it and do children's wear. Um, When I first moved here in the area, I was asked to um, maybe help to build community here. And I said, well, all I can do is really lend my skill sets of what I know, and that's doing design and teaching people to sew. So I would do some classes for the moms and um, their children. And then uh, I stopped that because obviously I had to focus on really bringing in an income. And then uh, after that, uh, I was still focused on ri- um, rising up with the label. And then I was when the new school came on site, I was asked to go into the school and to run a creative club there after school club there now i thought i would just do it for one term i thought i'll just do it for one term until i can sort out getting back into design again and four years later i am still there um and that's because of what i see the children achieving Um, because for me it's not just about the sewing it's about building them up with confidence and the skill sets that we learn in there they can implement it in any environment that they're in life skills um, because part of what I do with them is I, I I ban them from saying I can't. Those words are not allowed to be spoken in that room. <laughs> um, we we say things instead like it's a bit of a challenge so that they learn that they can overcome challenges. Um, and, and in anything that they're doing, it is a challenge so that they can get through it or they can ask an adult to help them to get through it. And there's other things we, we say in there that has really built up a lot of their confidence because parents have come to me and said, I've seen how my com- my child has grown in confidence. So
1: today you work in this creative club and you also run your business. What would you say? How far have you come since moving out from this
0: hostel? Um, do you know what? It's, it's amazing what's happened. Um, you know, I'm not where I want to be, but I know I am getting there. Um, because the interest in what I do um, has been amazing. Um, And I'm thankful that I have what I have in my hands to design because my mom used to always say, sadly, my mom passed away last year. Uh, And a lot of what I know with design, I learned from my mom. Um, So my mom's legacy lives on in the children because there was things she would show me to show them and they still do it. And it's, you know, I just think what I give to them and they share with others. No one can ever stop that. So, you know, like I said, my mom's legacy carries on, and and um, and I'm just continuing continuing with the um, with the business, and it's growing. It's growing. I've had interest. I've had people come to say that they will support what I'm doing. Um, I'm trying to increase, you know, awareness of what I do. Um, so that means, so you know, that means people sharing what I do and people coming on board and following and and you know just tapping in and sending messages um but i'm still doing designing the products i am working on um a new website will be developed soon hopefully and i'm trying to see if i can get space um a um, space where i can do um have a studio space and i can do workshops there so that i can train people and do more workshops for the children because what as i said to you what i've seen how they've developed its personal development as well as obviously learning the skill but they've developed personally there and i just think that's priceless um so yeah i'm just i'm i'm very yeah it's it's amazing it's amazing what will come from this and i hope that you know we can stay linkedin and you'll come back and see how it's developed
1: oh absolutely that would be awesome <laughs> um one quick question that I want to touch upon, I saw on your website uh, that the business that you carry on is an ethical business. And it's not a secret that it's more expensive to have ethical products. So why was it important for you to grow an ethical business and, and choose maybe not the cheapest path?
0: So my vision is, you know, like many Um, who design products you you want to grow but growth comes um, how that growth can come is that you may well have to approach countries where um, to get manufacturing done to keep your costs down and sadly those countries they don't always look out for and a clear example is what's happening out there in the design industry where big companies are not honoring paying um factories who they've placed orders with so it means that a lot of the factory workers in different countries have no income coming in because big business and many of the western world are not honoring what they said that they will do Um, so as i said to grow the business i need to manufacture and i really really want to manufacture here in the uk i understand that i will have to make greater payments so that people can um cover their costs and i'm happy to do that Um, But that also needs to be reflected in the cost of the products. And I do get people who want to just buy it because they love it and they really want to support um, something that's manufactured here. Um, But you get people who are coming and saying, oh, that's too expensive. But that's because, you know, we're a society that are so used to having things cheap, but they don't look at what cheap means. I mean, this COVID situation is really letting people reflect on what cheap means. And cheap means people cannot survive more people will become homeless more people will, will struggle and not be able to provide for their families and themselves and i really hope that you know this government honors what they say that they will do um because you know what they have been showing us in the past has not been it's not been kind to their fellow man it's kind to the one who looks like them um yeah. so yeah i'm really really hoping that this this does change, and that's why I said to you earlier that what we're faced with now is a challenge. Um, and we will always get through challenges, but the real test is after we come out of this lockdown.
1: Yeah, that's that's very likely. Um, you've been through a lot, and your experience is, of course, not the easy one. And in this podcast, I always want to talk about the lessons that we learn thanks to our experiences so what did this experience of being homeless teach you
0: stay steadfast stay steadfast and focused on your vision um and do not waver um and don't give up because you if you've got something in your hands you believe in it i think just stay focused on that everything else will come um there are many you know i've been doing this for many years and sometimes i do feel like a I'm on a mouse wheel going around. Um, but then I see little glimmers and little movements and think, okay, just stay focused on that. And like I said, with what I see with what, how the children have developed there, um, that alone is something that they will carry throughout life. And I just think if more people can tap into that, it's not just children, but if more people can tap into that, then I've done what I was put here to do.
1: And did your experience change your opinion in any way about homeless people?
0: Um, not change it as such, it made me more aware of how people are viewed, um, looked on like they are nothing. Um, and I do, I, do, I do feel for people because, you know, I, I, I mean, some people have said, you know, Jasmine, mentally you, you were very focused and some people don't have that. Um, and that's why I, 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 I guide the children in what I do. So mentally they can overcome challenges and know that they can do it because for some people mentally they get stuck, that they cannot overcome something. So So yeah, I just um, I don't view homeless people differently. I, 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 I do I am sad for many because they feel like this is that's just their life and I think no, it's not, it's not because you know I am testament to that.
1: That's right. Jasmine King, she went from being homeless to owning her children's wear business, Kin and Cloth. With the I Bounce Back podcast, I want to bring examples that there is always the way out from the most challenging situations in life. So I had my gym bag uh, that had my personal things that I needed uh, at work. Um, there was a dead prairie chicken. And it was blood dripping all over my personal things, and that was a, thats when I realized this is a this is a serious thing. And my boss actually tried to convince me not to make a complaint. On July first, don't forget to tune in to a new episode. Stop bullying me now. Stay safe. Keep going. I'll see you in two weeks. Bye.